Well, it is my great privilege to welcome Pastor Willie and uh, Gwen to Willingdon Church. They are new here. Pastor Willie will join our pastoral team and become the Discipleship Ministries team leader. Uh, Willie, he holds degrees in economics and administrative studies from the University of Winnipeg and a Master's of Divinity from Fresno Pacific University slash Biblical Seminary in California. Uh, While uh, Willie and Gwen were in California, God was already laying on their heart the desire to plant a church, and so from California they moved to Calgary in 1994 and uh, trusted God to birth a church. That church was born, it grew, it became a multi-site congregation called SunWest Christian Fellowship. Uh, Willie served there as lead pastor for 19 years and then felt God uh, calling him to serve the Canadian Conference of MB Churches, and he was invited to be executive director. And so he served in that function for six years. Willie is passionate about a number of things. As you get to know him, you'll realize that he has a real passion to see people that don't know Jesus come to know him as their personal Savior and Lord. You'll also learn that he is passionate about spirit-filled disciples making other disciples. He has a real heart for the church. He wants to see us living authentic relationship and wants to invest in leaders leaders and see them grow and multiply. So we are very grateful for Willie and Gwen and their transition to Willingdon Church. They're married. They've been married for some time, have three grown boys and uh, a daughter-in-law. At their wedding, they had as uh, verses inspiring them, leading them, Colossians 1, verses 28 and 29. We proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom, so that we may present every man complete in Christ. For this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. So may those verses continue to be true for you and inspire you as you engage here at Willingdon. So let's welcome them. And I would invite you to stand as we pray for them. Let's stand. So, Father, again, we just thank you in your sovereign care and goodness you have brought Willie and Gwen to Willingdon Church. And uh, as they make this transition, Lord, we just thank you that we can entrust them into your care, their sons, their daughter-in-law. Thank you that you care for every detail. We thank you for your provision in our lives as a church. And as they enter this season of ministry, we pray that it would be a season of great joy, of unusual joy in your presence as they just see your hand at Willingdon and allow you to use them. We thank you for them. May we be family for them, Lord. And uh, even now, as Pastor Willie preaches your word, may your anointing rest on him. May we receive your word to us today, Jesus. We pray these things in your glorious name. Amen. Amen. may be seated. Give me a hug. Well, thank you very much for that uh, warm welcome. We got here on uh, Monday. I've been enjoying the amazing weather, and I'm told it's always like that here in BC. Uh, So we're counting on that not being fake news. (laughs) 
So we're going to wrap up our Mighty to Save series, uh, uh, the summer series going through the first 14 chapters of the book of Exodus, the second book of the Bible. So you can open up your uh, Bibles to uh, Exodus and we're going to go through, make it through 31 verses there today. So as you, uh, as I'm new here, you'll get to know a little bit about me, you know, as, as I get to share with you personally and in settings like this. So one little tidbit about me is I'm a real Lord of the Rings fan. It's, uh, it's something, it's a movie I enjoyed. I love the writing of Tolkien, uh, C.S. Lewis, and, uh, and these great themes in that movie series based on his books uh, of the great battle between good and evil. Uh, and all these great pieces of human, human struggle that come up uh, in that movie series. Uh, humility over pride, the activity of grace, uh, salvation, repentance, self-sacrifice, free, mil- th- free will, humility. And uh, it is said that when Tolkien was writing the, towards the end of the series, when uh, the, the main characters, Sam and Frodo, are, are trying to get the, destroy the ring that's tempting people, He's, he was thinking of the Lord's Prayer. Uh, as he was writing those scenes uh, and trying to, in his fictional way, bring life to this story. I also love symbols. And so actually, in my den at home, uh, I have Gandalf, one of the main characters there, I have his sword hanging in my uh, den at home as a reminder of the battle in the first movie where um, he says uh, that it's a spiritual battle, not a physical battle. And he says to his his, uh, the guys he's traveling with, he says, your weapons are of no use here. And it's a rem- reminder to me that the battles we fight in this world are spiritual, not material. When my middle son Carter got married, I gave, at the wedding, a father-son gift, uh, I gave him Aragorn's sword. <laughs> and uh, so all the, all the guys in the crowd, they're like, yeah. And our daughter-in-law, Sarah, goes, why would you do that? <laughs> so it's hanging in their living room. Uh, so I'm rather proud of that. Uh, but I think the reason that those kinds of movies resonate so well with people is actually because it's the, it's the grand story of Scripture that God's put in our hearts. It's a longing for justice. It's a longing for people to rise up in, in humility and, uh, and for justice to prevail, for evil to be vanquished. And movie writers have figured that out. And so you have a million movies of that storyline. But the storyline comes from Scripture. And that's actually the storyline of Exodus. It's the storyline of the grand narrative of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation when all things will be made new, when the kingdom of God will be here in all of its fullness at Christ's return, and justice will prevail. No more tears will be shed. We'll walk in wholeness. And we long for that. Humanity longs for that. Even when we don't know it, we long for that. But God gives us that picture in Exodus. And Pastor Ray did a great job of describing uh, one of the pinnacle stories last week in the Passover. And then we celebrated again this morning. Uh, But coming out of the Passover, God still wants to do work with his people because they need to be shaped into the people of God they're still thinking like slaves. They don't understand freedom. And they're not ready to deal with, with uh, the obstacles on the way to the promised land. So he actually has more work to do. And so that's where we pick up the story in Exodus 14, verse 1. 
Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Pi-Hahiroth, between the Migdal and the sea, in front of Baal-Zephon. You shall encamp facing it by the sea, for Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, They are wandering in the land, the wilderness has shut them in, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. So the people of Israel are experiencing this incredible joy of being freed uh, from Egypt. And in fact, as, as was prophesied, their pockets are filled with the gold and silver that was given to them by the Egyptians, as the Lord said would happen. So they're coming out of that amazing experience. And now God said, instead of taking the shortcut, he says, I'm going to take you on the long cut. We're taking the long way because you need to learn something. I need to actually create your identity. I need you to understand who I am as God. I need you to understand what I've empowered Moses, my servant, to be and do, and what I have for you in the future. And I want the whole world to know, so I'm going to do this by dealing with the Egyptians. And so literally, Israel is wandering in circles after a couple days. Like, they're backed into a corner. It was a really bad travel plan if you wanted to get somewhere quickly. And so now the Egyptians are saying, hey, we have opportunity here. But the reality is that God, as the first point in your outline, God is much more interested in our spiritual growth than in our personal comfort. God is much more interested in our spiritual growth than in our personal comfort. And he is much more interested in the spiritual growth, the identity formation of the people of Israel than he's interested in making this an easy trip for them. Now, for most of us, I think, our human condition, 21st century, is we think God should be much more interested in our personal comfort than our spiritual growth. I've had so many conversations where people would say to me, if God really cared, and it's usually then filled out with, he would remove this pain, this obstacle, this challenge in my life. The assumption is that if God cares, he would make my life easy. Often our children want us to parent them that way. My boys are 26, 24, 22. There are times when they would say, you're ruining our lives. And I can be a bit of a cheeky dad, and I would say, good, we're accomplishing our mission. <laughs> and then they'd roll their eyes and get mad at me. They're like, this isn't going to work. So no, my goal, and I would say to them at points, I go, I want you to love me, but I'm okay if you don't like me. Especially when they were teenagers. Because I want you to grow up to be men of God. So my goal isn't for you to like me. If you're going to like me as a kid, I probably am not doing my best job. Because you want me to make your life easy. I want to mature you. So you're ready to launch. That's what God wants to do with us. That's what God is doing with the people of Israel. God is more interested in our spiritual growth than in our personal comfort. So God's plan is to draw Pharaoh back into the story for Israel's spiritual growth and to make a statement to the world at that time. Now you wonder, okay, after we've had these 10 plagues, these amazing acts of God, why would Pharaoh re-engage with God? You think he would learn his lesson. Well, from commentaries, you find a little bit about the religious thought of the day, which would also impact Israel. And this is why God also has to reshape Israel. 
And the, the thought of the day was that the gods and goddesses that Pharaoh would have believed in, and Pharaoh would have thought he was actually the top god, is how he would have put himself before the people, is that gods actually are very fickle. They come and they go. They lose interest. They're egotistical. They do what's in their own interest. So it wouldn't be unusual for a king at that point in history to think, oh, the gods have left. So perhaps Israel God has left, and I can actually now go and re-enslave them. And actually that's, the people of Israel were probably influenced by that because they haven't fully understood yet a monotheistic God, a single God who rules over all, who is sovereign, and in whom they find their identity and their purpose in their life. So he needs to teach both groups a lesson. And that's what, why he is walking forward in this. And so, in, uh, in verse 5, it says, When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed toward the people. And they said, What is this we have done, that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariot and took his army with him and took 600 chosen chariots and all uh, the other chariots in Egypt with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. The Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army, and he overtook them and camped at the sea by Pihahiroth in front of Baal-Zephon. So, Pharaoh, having sort of processed the loss of the firstborn, he's recognized, I've lost my 600,000 male slaves. Not only have I lost my workforce, but I've also perhaps created an army that could endanger my country. And he reconsiders Here's the word that these guys are wandering around aimlessly and thinks they're lost. They have no leadership. Let's go after them. So he mounts up his 600 chariots and goes after them to re-enslave them. And then in verse 10 it says, When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly, and the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. So what did they cry out? We can speculate for a bit before we jump into the next verses. Okay, they're afraid. We know that. But we have these 10 amazing plagues, these miracles that have happened. So one side of me goes, you know, maybe because they've seen all these miraculous things, every time they walk, they can hear the gold jingling in their pockets still. They would go, man, this is what happened when we were in Israel. Now they're sending 600 chariots This is going to be amazing and we have a front row seat to what God's going to do. I thought maybe they'd say that. I'd like to think that's what I would have said. I'd like to think that when I or when you face the next challenge or perhaps the challenge that you're in, you don't get amnesia about what God has done in your life. You actually go, oh wow, I just can't wait to see how God is going to answer this prayer. Boy, this is going to be good. But generally, the human condition isn't much different now than it was then. And so, what do they do? Verse 11. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians 
than to die in the wilderness. So within a few days of experiencing the culmination of this miraculous journey, they have complete amnesia and they're reconstructing history. Going, man, it was good back there. It was so good to get up in the morning and go to work and by 10 a.m. we'd been whipped three times. That was so good. Remember how much fun we had when they took our straw away from making bricks and how we rose to that challenge? We all high-fived each other at the end of the day. That was spectacular. Like, they start changing all of history. They forget everything that God has done. It's all gone. They, they panic and they rewrite history and they become irrational and foolish in their thinking. Even to the point of saying Pharaoh wants to kill us, which is actually the last thing Pharaoh wants to do because a dead slave is a useless slave. See, second point is personal crisis tempts us to rewrite history and minimize God's care for us. Personal crisis tempts us to rewrite history and minimize God's care for us. Instead of standing there and people shouting, remember what God has done. He will be faithful. This will be amazing. So Gwen and I, a number of months ago, Pastor Ray calls us and said, hey, would you consider coming to Willingdon? I said, okay, we'll pray about that. So we begin this journey. We start doing some visits here. And as we start looking around the area, we realize suddenly that our home in Calgary is worth three to four times as much in Burnaby. So, well, those don't like that trajectory since I can't move my house here. Then I look at gas prices and they're about 40% higher than they are in Calgary. And we start thinking, this problem's too big for God. We start actually, without saying it out loud, but we, we start, well, how's this going to work? Like, we, like the questions are practical and logical, right? How's this going to work? How would this work going from Calgary? Sell our house there, which buys us a single car garage over here. So if you have a garage that we can buy, you know, we're... Right? Like you start doing these things and you start forgetting what God has done. And then we start thinking, okay, wait a minute. 1994, as Ray said, we moved to California. God took care of us. Uh, we, every year of seminary, that we, the three years we lived there, we, the cost was much higher than the money we had and it all worked out. And we're like, how did that happen? How did God do that? And he provided a house for us in Calgary when we got there as new graduates to start a school with a couple of little kids. Six years in, we went and sold our house, got in a motorhome because we felt God had told us to, and we left uh, uh, on a sabbatical for 86 days, drove 16,000 kilometers in the middle of an economic boom in Calgary, and we thought, boy, I hope when we get back, we haven't priced ourselves out of the market. We get back to Calgary, we start praying about a house, and God provides a house for us uh, that uh, had dropped in price $26,000 from its asking price to when we got it. It was just an amazing provision. Uh, we said, wait a minute, let's start writing down the things God has done for us. So why is Burnaby too big a challenge? You know, that's silly. That's nothing near the people of Israel. But of course, this gets personal and practical for whatever your situation in life is. God has taken care of us in the past. He will take care of us in the future. 
But what we need typically as human beings, we need someone to save us from ourselves. What do I mean by that? Whenever we're in a dark place, whenever we get afraid, hurt, angry, we easily become irrational in our thought process. Our brains run amok. We have all kinds of storylines we create. We start attributing motives to people, all kinds of situations. We think the worst of everything and everyone. Here's what I found out in those situations. You know who the worst counselors are? Me, myself, and I. Those are the worst counselors. Right? Because you just you start affirming yourself. Oh, yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah, they're idiots. They're wrong. That was terrible. You're right. God doesn't care. He's forgotten about me. That's what happens when we isolate, which we do in our culture so much, and stay by ourselves. That's why the book of Proverbs, I think, says in Proverbs 24, 6, for by wise guidance you can wage your war, and our war is a spiritual war, and in abundance of counselors there is victory. What was Israel believing? God can't save us. God is absent. God doesn't care about us. If God really cared, he would remove this obstacle from our lives. Pharaoh is greater than God. Pharaoh wants to kill us. We are doomed. There is no hope. We were better off as slaves. In fact, so often what happens is is our memory gets so twisted that we start thinking the place of slavery where we were is better than the place of freedom that God is inviting us to but feels too scary to step into. So even when we're dealing with difficult things, sin in our lives, uh, dysfunctional relationships, addictions, we think the pain of that place of dysfunction is actually more comfortable because it's familiar to us than the joy of freedom in Christ. That is the human condition. And God says, no, I invite you to something greater and you probably need someone to save you from yourselves because you need to think like my child if you are a Christ follower. If you're not a Christ follower, God wants to make you his child and let you know what your identity is in him. Third point, God wants to teach you to think like heirs rather than slaves. God wants to teach you to think like heirs rather than slaves. The people of Israel needed their worldview corrected. They needed to understand that God was calling them to be his people, to declare his goodness and be a witness to the world, to be a signpost to the world, to be a billboard to the world, which is what he calls us to be as Christ followers today as well. But that only happens when we have God's, per- God's perspective, when we step into him and recognize that he wants to fight for us. What do heirs think like? Heirs recognize that God is our father, that our identity is in him. Our identity is not in our behavior. Our identity is not in our past. Our identity is that you are a child of God. You are called a saint as a child of God, not because of anything you have done, but because of everything he has done. You notice how Paul starts every letter pretty much in the New Testament. Greetings to the saints in Ephesus, the saints in Galatia. Does he say that because they're so good? Well, no, not if you read the rest of the letter. Right? First century church is messed up. But it's because of their identity. As a child of God, you can walk into the presence of God with full authority that he accepts you, he loves you, If you come with issues, he forgives you. He says he wants to reveal himself to you. He says you should seek and ask for wisdom because he wants to talk to you. 
that's what it means to be a child of God and to recognize that. Will you still do foolish things or sinful things? Absolutely. Have they already been forgiven? Absolutely. To appropriate that forgiveness, you just need to bring them to Christ. So here now he wants them to understand who they are. And so now I'm walking through Moses' work. He begins to do this more. Verse 13 says, And Moses said to to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You have only to be silent. Which is probably a nice biblical way of saying, Stop whining. You're driving me crazy. It's interesting. He says, Cease and desist so that God can actually fight. I think in that little, those, those two verses there, there's really five quick things I think that God is doing in there. He says, first of all, God is our deliver, deliverer from fear. Because if their eyes go on to God rather than the 600 chariots, the whole attitude changes. Secondly, God dispels stress, stress and anxiety. How does that happen then and now? It's because you take your stress and anxiety and say, God, here you go. I give this to you. In fact, you may even want to consider this. I've done this in prayer. I'll say, God, I apologize for, for believing these lies about you. Please forgive me. I repent of that. And I give my stress to you. And then I've asked at points, Jesus, what do you give me in return? And often I'll get a scripture or a truth that the Holy Spirit will put in my heart to remind me of. Go, oh yeah, that's who God is. Perfect love casts out fear. Yeah, oh yeah, that's right. And he starts reorienting my thinking. Thirdly, God expects and invites his people to trust him. The Lord will fight for you. You have only to be silent. God will see you through danger, which he has demonstrated throughout history in his word and in the history of the church. It doesn't mean he's going to remove you from danger, but he says, I will walk with you. And God is a warrior against the forces of evil, and the forces of evil are not people. People are not the enemy. The enemy is the enemy, which is the evil one. We need to remember that. How could we learn these lessons, or how did they learn these lessons? Through silence, the Lord will fight for you. Author Keith Brooks says, The believer cannot go ahead in the strength of Christ until he has learned to stand still in his own helplessness. The believer cannot go ahead in the strength of Christ until he has learned to stand still in his own helplessness. Why? Because it's when you stand still in your helplessness and you quit creating all the activity and you quit listening to me, myself, and I that now you go to God. You quit doing busy work and you go to God. You quit trying to control things and you go to God. That's how that works. So we get out of God's way. So how do you let go and let God do these things? Three simple things. First of all, you remember, as we've talked about a bit already, you remember what God has done in history, the lesson of Exodus. You remember the words of Moses to Israel, fear not, stand firm, the Lord will fight for you. Remember what God has done through Jesus, the Passover lamb who takes away the sin of the world, who sent his count, the counselor, the Holy Spirit to be with us and indwell us and guide us through all circumstance. What God has done throughout history, what God has done in your life, stand truth, 
on the reality of God's work before you in whatever current struggle you go through. Maybe even sit down and write down the blessings of the Lord. Start going, God, bring to mind all the things that, where you've answered prayer and just start writing them down and remembering them. Secondly, give the issue to the Lord in prayer. How? Repent of trying to control the situation and ask him to lead you forward. Give it to him. Give it to him. Thirdly, engage in community. In our individualistic world, we insulate ourselves from care. And the evil one tries to tell us, oh, that would be embarrassing to tell anyone about your crisis. You should never do that. I wouldn't go to God in prayer. That's being weak. God doesn't care about you anyway. God's not going to listen to you. He's not interested in your problem. God's already left the building. Why would you do that? And the evil one tries to get you to be on your own and isolate you from God and from each other. Authentic community is the place where you can be real with each other and you stand with each other and you pray for each other and you push each other towards Christ. That's what he invites us to do. That's how he works. How does it work with the people of Israel? Verse 15, the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell me, tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand and the sea uh, over the sea and divide it, that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host, his chariots, his horsemen, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. When I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. God says, here is the plan. Let's move ahead in this. Egyptians will pursue you in their arrogance, in their foolishness, but I will bring glory to God. You will know who I am. The whole world will know who I am. And the people of Israel find their identity increasingly in me. So in Exodus 19, verse 14, uh, sorry, chapter 14, verse 19, it says, Then the angel of God who was going before the host of Israel moved and went ahead of them. And the pillar of cloud moved uh, from before them and stood behind them, coming in between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud and the darkness, and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. So God, first of all, takes this amazing miracle of the pillar of cloud, the pillar of fire, and, and his presence goes from in front of the people, leading them to behind them, between them and the, and, uh, the Egyptians. And it's interesting because throughout Scripture, there's cons uh, repeated reference to God's presence in clouds. So in the temple, when Solomon dedicates the temple, he does the great prayer and the sacrifice, and the temple is filled with a cloud, with the presence of God. When the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost, it's tongues of fire, the presence of God. And as Exodus foreshadows the work of Christ through the Passover, through the crossing of the Red Sea, it's foreshadowing the death and resurrection of Christ. The pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire is Jesus. As Jesus is his presence before us and after us. And just like God came between uh, protecting the people of Israel from the, from the chariots of Egypt. Jesus surrounds us through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. He is between us and our, and our enemies, uh, the evil one, Satan, trying to distort us and lie to us. He is the one who leads us through the power of the Spirit. He is the fire before us. That's how he wants to work, just like he worked then, as we give ourselves to him repeatedly. 
God was their light. He is our light. He made a way for them. He makes a way for us. And the Spirit continues to be our pillar of cloud and our pillar of fire. So deliverance came through God's work, but God wanted to use a person. And just so often God wants to use people today. That's how he wants to work, thankfully, is through us. Verse 21. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided, and the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, and the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left hand. I always wonder what they were thinking as they walked through. There always had to be one guy, I'm sure, who said, told you God was going to do this. There's always one guy, told you so. I knew it. I had faith. And everyone's looking at him like, why didn't you say anything? Well, I didn't want to be arrogant. I always wonder what they were thinking as they stepped on dry. And it had to be wide because there's two million people. So for this to happen with any speed, this had to be a wide path. And it wasn't a muddy soil, it was dry ground. But for this to happen, and even for the people to appropriate the miracle, notice they still had to walk through. God didn't lift them over. He said, you have to walk. You have to step. Last point. To experience God's deliverance, we need to step out in faith. God didn't just take them and teleport them over to the safe ground. He didn't do the work for them. He made the way, but said, you need to step out and we still need to step out. God will make a way, but he won't do our work for us. He will do for us what we can't do for ourselves, which is what Christ did. But he will not do for us what we need to do for ourselves so that we grow into the people that he's called us to be, just like the people of Israel need to find their identity. That's what God did. Closing story. And we're going to leave the rest of the verses uh, for the sake of time. So uh, last church I was in, uh, we were doing some, some um, healing meetings. We decided the Lord had told us we need to pray for healing. And uh, there's a gal in our church who'd grown up in our church. Her name's Christina. Christina has endometriosis. Young gal, just got married, can't have kids, severe pain. And, uh, uh, and so she came forward for prayer for healing. And that, this was a Sunday morning. Sunday afternoon, uh, she's in more pain than ever. It's just, it's awful. She has so much pain. That evening we have another meeting and she decides, I'm going to go to the meeting. I'm not going to go forward for prayer. I'll just go to the meeting and see what the Lord has for me. And maybe I'll pray for somebody else or something. And uh, in that meeting, while we're worshiping, uh, she gets on her knees and wherever she's sitting in worship. Just a spontaneous kind of reaction to worship, God's presence. She gets home and she realizes, I have no pain. Next day, I have no pain. Then she remembers, for the last several months, the Lord's been telling her, as she's been taking this issue to him, he's kept telling her, I want you to kneel down in worship. I want you to get on your knees. And she keeps on, nope. She's kind of a proud gal, very self-sufficient. She's like, nope, no thank you. No, the floor's too dirty, so I'm not going to do that. And she was just too proud. That evening, she spontaneously was overcome by whatever the Spirit of God she got down on her knees and stepped into what God had inviting her to do for months. Twelve months later, I dedicated their first child. And they had another one after that. 
And I'm convinced, I mean, God works uniquely every time. He doesn't do anything the same way twice in scripture. We see that. So he always says, step in faith, follow me, walk in obedience, and just take go step by step. I think God was just waiting for her. So just acknowledge him and say, I've asked you to do this. So I can bless you. I don't know what God's inviting you to today. I don't know what situation you're dealing with. I don't know if you've isolated yourself. Perhaps you've never stepped into faith. Perhaps you're dealing with a crisis of some sort. And he's inviting you to step in like the people of Israel did. And when they came out, it tells us uh, in verse uh, 31, Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord. They believed in the Lord and his servant Moses. The Lord was shaping them. Let's stand for closing prayer. As Pastor Ray said at the, uh, at the, earlier in the service, uh, there will be people to pray uh, for you, with you, after the service here, the Welcome Center, just out in the lobby. Uh, there's more time people could pray with, uh, with you there as well. Uh, we believe in prayer because God tells us to pray and give ourselves and our issues to him so that uh, he can work in our lives through the power of his spirit. And that's what we invite you to uh, today. Father, I want to thank you for this great example in history, how people who didn't really know you, who were struggling in their sin and in their pain and their slavery, there's so many things. You reached out to create a people to be called by your name, to give glory to you and be a witness to the world, just as you've called the Bride of Christ, the church, to do that today. And Father, even though the people struggled, you continue to work in grace, and patience, in grace and patience to continue to draw them to yourself. Father, thank you that you draw us to yourself. And this morning, Father, I know there's people here who have crises that they are facing or who have things they're holding on to and they're afraid to give them to you. And Father, I pray even now that they could open up their hands and just give these things to you. That they could share with other Christ followers to be vulnerable to let people pray into their lives, speak into their lives, Lord and to follow you in faith because you will not do for us what we need to do for ourselves, which is to choose to follow you. And Father, I pray that as people do that, there will be great answers to prayer that we share together in the coming weeks. Thank you for your goodness and your grace. Thank you for the sign that you are mighty to save that you've given us through the story of Exodus and that you continue to save today. Be with us as we go from this place. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.